Today, it's estimated there are over 1 billion websites on the internet. Much of this content is optimized to be viewed by human eyes, not consumed by machines. However, creating systems to automatically parse and structure the web greatly extends its utility and paves the way for innovative solutions and applications. The industry of web scraping has emerged to do just that. However, many websites erect obstacles to hinder web scraping. This has created a new kind of arms race between developers and anti-scraping software. Bright Data has developed some of the most sophisticated consumer tools available to scrape public web data. Arez Nave is an entrepreneur and former engineer at Meta. He is currently the VP of product at Bright Data. Arez joins us in this episode to talk about Bright Data's mission to structure the open web and the toolkit they've developed to make this possible. Powell is a tech lead and a software engineer with a background in launching products in startups and big companies. He's also the founder of Flat Social. Check out the show notes to follow Powell on Twitter or LinkedIn, or visit his personal website, powell.io. Hello, Eres. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you here. So let's start with the first question. What is Bright Data, and what do you guys do? Bright Data is on a mission to structure the open web. Basically, it's a 360 solution for public web data collection, and the public is a really important aspect of it. Everything from proxies, proxy management, web unlocking tools, advanced scraping solutions, and even pre-collected data sets in a marketplace that sells our own pre-collected data and third-party data. And how did you get into building tech products? And what were your first steps in the, in the industry that led you to working at Bright Data? So I started building websites at the year 2000. And then I had a studio that uh, formed around building web solutions. There was no mobile web at the time. And I did that for eight years, seven years, something like that. One of the clients was MSN in Israel, and they asked me to build a gaming platform for them, a multiplayer one-on-one games. So I did it, and then it became its own company, and I recruited, uh, also got the money from investors and, and uh, built a company around that. I did that for another eight years. <laughs> and build uh, that company was uh, come to play and we sold it to uh, Cyplay, which is an American games company, social games. And then I did a couple of things and I got a call from Meta, from Facebook at the time. And I led the research platform team for five years. Basically, it's a team that is in charge of market intelligence for Meta, which is acting in the app world so all the competitors are any app on your device, on your Apple or Android device. And we grew it into three products. One is the market intelligence. The other one is a survey platform. All the surveys that are run by, I think, 900 researchers inside Meta and that are you know, spread on all the products. And then I also bootstrap my own idea, my own product, uh, which is now called Viewpoints by, by Meta. It's a crowdsourcing platform uh, that allows Meta to run research, uh, paid research. So they pay you to participate. Anyone can participate in research. 
the complete long surveys and trained ML models on voice, videos, text, images, and so on. And then I did that for five years, so I was looking for new opportunities within Meta or outside, and I came across this opportunity at Bright Data, and I found it very interesting because it's a hyper-growth company. We are about 450 employees right now, and I really like the challenge of building a product culture, like taking all I know from startups, all I know from a huge company like Facebook, and building a culture inside the company as a leader that will allow it to grow into the size of Meta eventually. That's the challenge that uh, I came here to do, basically. What are some of the most useful lessons that you have taken both from building the games and then later working at Meta that you are currently applying at uh, Bright Data? I think that the similarities between the games industry and, and Bright Data uh, everything, and also in Meta, where I built apps at the end, I, I built consumer-facing app, like the Viewpoints app, and internal products. And it's exactly the same here. We have a, an external product for developers and for data people and also for you know, business people that only wants the data. And they need to onboard and they need to have no friction and they need to, you know, we need to keep them retained and happy and not shared and all of that. It's exactly like a game in, in the terms of making sure that you have the right mechanism in place and the right messaging and the right experience and the right flow to allow someone to go into that experience and have a good experience by onboarding and choosing the right solution or having the right tutorial for the game is exactly like having the right tutorial to how to use a port. So there are many similarities in that. But also a lot of similarities internally in the company culture. Like how do you how do you collect the data and the information you need to understand where are the opportunities to optimize and to grow and where are the opportunities for big bets? And then how do you plan them and how do you execute them with your R and D partners and with the design and with the marketing and everyone? So that's the playbook that keeps on coming with a little bit of flavor changes based on the size of the company and the functions that you have. Basically, the more you practice it, the better you become in it. Definitely. Because they would imagine that from gaming, technically, maybe they're different, but still the funnels of onboarding users, activating users, and the fundamentals still remain the same. It doesn't matter which you know, and digital product you're building. Yeah, actually, I would say that uh, games in general are the highest form of tech art that there is and the most complex one, because from a product perspective, at least, not from a technical perspective, because you need not only to work on, as you said, on the onboarding and making the, the game fun and to work, you have a whole art department. You have animations, illustrations, uh, sound design. And you have an economy. I had an economy uh, of a, one game with 2 million players a month that I needed to give them virtual coins, make sure that we have enough uh, sinkholes that the money will flow in and out of. So you're also managing an economy of a small country. So <laughs> you have all the challenges all together at the same time. Because I worked also as a software engineer in gaming and the 
technical problems and the optimization issues that I have run to were nothing similar to you know to this to the more kind of simple web projects that and that one would work on. Yeah, yeah, the optimizations are very very different, and also you you have to support you know a desktop and mobile and maybe even a PlayStation or whatnot. And so yeah, the complexity is is different. In bright data, it's it's very different because the complexity is scale. Now we need to scale to support over 15,000 customers that are accessing the web through us at enormous scale. And we need to be at the, at the 99.9% uptime threshold. So that's a huge challenge. It just comes from a different angle. Exactly. I wouldn't imagine than, than gaming. So let's speak maybe a little bit of web scraping and the kind of basics and fundamentals of web scraping. So what is web data? Who uses it and why? So when we talk about web data, we talk about public mm -hmm. web data. And that's very important because we want that everyone will have access to everything that is publicly available. And I think the easiest term to understand is that if you open an incognito browser and go into any website, that's the public version of that website. Whatever they will feed you in that HTML that will land on, that's the public data that you can scrape. We don't allow, we don't want to support anything that is behind a login, behind registration, that is strictly for registered users, that's not public accessible data for us. So anything that you can access through incognito window without logging in, that's public web data. And how was this data scraped until now? So basically you can start off with the basic, most basic scraping, which is open your browser, access, you know, punch in the URL, mm. and that's it. You scrape the, <laughs> you got the HTML back. It's the organic scraping. Yeah, and, and everyone is doing it all the time. You basically access it. And now we are talking about automating it and scaling it. So you can do it with your own browser, right? You have many macros, plugins that you can automate going into websites and downloading the HTML and saving it. And that's for your, that's still a very, very common use case. There are many, many tools, really good tools that allows you to do it on your own small scale solution. But then when you try to do it for a, larger use case, even if it's your own or a commercial one, you start getting into limitations because that website that you are trying to scrape uh, will start blocking you. The easiest way will be just by identifying your IP address and saying, oh, I see that you got here too many times, I'll start blocking you in a variety of ways until I block you completely. And that's the most basic need for a proxy, because then you say, okay, so I can't use only my IP address. I need several IP addresses. Maybe I need them to be even faster, so I'll go and use Bright Data for that, and I'll use, I don't know, I need a, a million IP addresses today to go and scrape a million pages at once, and I want that to happen in the next uh, two minutes, and I get all the data at once. Okay, so I can do that. Then we can get into you know uh, all the monitoring and limitations, uh, making sure that you're not uh, DDoSing the, the website, but that's uh, we can touch on that later. But basically, that's the 
most basic use case for scraping at scale using many IP addresses. And then there is the geolocation one, geolocation, which means that I want to scrape the data of that website from a specific country. Let's say I'm, I want to scrape a website in uh, Germany or in France, and I want to use local IP addresses from France because I want to make sure that I'll get the version of someone from France and not from someone in Italy because websites are now very personal and adaptive to your location, your browser. So that's why we also have solutions for mobile IP addresses to make sure that you come across as a mobile user. That will get, give you, in many cases, a very different version of that website than if you would come from an IP address from a desktop. I think that this would also apply to search results because the search results will be highly different dependently on where the user is actually located. So, so this is, I think, another uh, great use case. Yeah, we have a specific product for that, which is called the SERP API, a search engine scraping, basically. And we have a playground for that that anyone can access in a website. It's, it's really cool that you go and say, okay, I want to see search results for a pizza, from mobile, from Italy. It can be also, you know, the geo-targeting is not uh, bound on, only to country. It can be also for zip code. It can be for, we're working on uh, geo-targeting that is based on latitude and uh, longitude. So you'll have IP address from that location and you want to see the search result because you'll get very different search results for pizzeria in Milano and pizzeria and if you're located in uh, Rome. You know, because the ads will be different, the ad targeting will be different, the search result will be different, the language that you'll use will be different if you're looking at it as uh, someone using English as the locale in the browser or someone who's using German. So it depends on the on so many parameters and you can play with all of them in the playground and see the result change. Mm. Would you say that the scale and the geolocation are the biggest challenges for people who are trying to do web scraping today, for the developers who are building web scrapers, or would there be there something else or something more? It all depends on the target domain. So there are target domain that all you need, the amount, the volume of IP addresses form a specific geolocation. And that's why you'll be able to do it and access the public web data just by using data center IP addresses, which are identified as a data center. So you can, those are the cheapest IP addresses that you can buy access to, and that will be enough for many, many websites. But then you go into websites that are trying to be a wall garden even on the public web data, and they try to halt free market competition from happening. And I'll give uh, just uh, one example, which is the prominent one. The prominent use case will be price comparison. So I have a website that is an e-commerce website and I'm selling a product and I want to make sure that I'm staying competitive in the market and I want to make sure that when I'm up against the big players, whether it's I don't know, Amazon, Walmart, and whatever it is in my local market, and there are many local markets, will stay competitive. I want to make sure that I'm not pricing it too high or too low, and maybe I want to price it too high or too low, depends on my, but compared to what, right? And that's compared to the market. So 
Then I'll do some automation to scrape those websites on a daily basis and maybe an hourly basis, depending how much this product price changes. And I'll run into very hard blocking mechanisms from those big players that are using technology from the leading anti-bot vendors out there. So then I will run into blocking issues and fingerprinting issues and, and IPs that will be blocked if they are used from uh, data centers and I, I need to use them from residential networks and so on. So the solution is all, it depends on the website that you are trying to scrape. And that's why we have so many solutions and it can be overwhelming for someone that is uh, just starting. And then we can go into the recommendations I have and how to approach it if you want at this stage or later on. Yeah, because you definitely, when I've been looking at Bright Data, I could definitely see this powerhouse of features that there is not only one, you know, product because you have proxies, you have many different types of proxies, you have the and different types of web scraping as well. Yeah, that's my challenge, you know, how to explain it to someone who's just uh, entering a product, how to choose the right one. It's really challenging. It's really challenging because some developers are you know, well-versed in the world of uh, web scraping and, and some are not, and they might choose the wrong uh, product and get disappointed. So let's maybe speak a little bit about the proxies. So why do we use those proxies and when scraping data? And also let's speak a little bit about the different types of proxies that you allow and developers to use. Because you mentioned residential networks, you mentioned I think mobile networks as well. And could you tell me a little bit more about what types of proxies do you offer? How do they differ? And why are they useful and the different ones are useful for web scraping? Sure. So everything can be useful web scraping. Um, but let's dive into each one and see why and, and how. But also remember that web, scra web, sorry, web scraping is only one and the main use case and price comparison is one and the main use case, but there are many, many, there's a long tail of use cases. Let me just mention one of them. For instance, I'm located in India and I need to manage an account in Instagram for my US customer. Instagram will block me with my India IP address. So I have to find a way to come out from an IP address that is local in the state to manage my customer Instagram account. Right? So I'll buy an IP address that can be also fixed IP address that will not change to make sure that it's like my home address or my computer address and it's stable. So that's another use case. But let's stay in the main use case of price comparison and look at the different solutions. So as I said, the cheapest one and the easiest one to start with is just the data center. So it's a data center IP address and you can access it from our data centers around the world. And then you have an ISP IP address, which means that the internet provided us with a bunch of IP address and we uh, supply it to you. And then there is the mobile IP address. So we have mobile addresses, mobile IP addresses around the world. And then there is the residential IP address, which is our network of real users that gave us access to their IP address so you can get that access through the device. And that's the four types of IP addresses. On top of that, we've built smart solutions and I'll explain why we did that. Because each one of the IP addresses will help you overcome blocking issues that uh, the anti-bot providers provide those websites. 
as I said, some don't have any. So you can access through data center IP addresses. And then you try to do it with the, maybe you need to come up and scrape a mobile website and you'll use the mobile IP address. And then you try to overcome the challenges by using some IP address that looks more human-like because you're trying to seem as a normal user. So you'll use the ISP addresses or the residential one. But that can be also not enough because you're not coming with the right fingerprint. You don't look like a user that is using a normal browser. And maybe you need to have a capture solving because they show you a capture once that make sure that you're a human being and so on. And then you need either to build those solutions in-house or leverage our platform to, to do that. So we have smart solutions on top of our network for instance, the web unlocker. So the web unlocker will give you a very simple API. You call the URL, you call the API with the URL. You can also add parameters, for instance, the country that you are trying to come from. And that's it, you'll get the HTML back without dealing with any blocking issue, not the fingerprinting, not the capture solving, anything that's related to blocking will do it for you. And we have an army of developers that are developing this solution using, of course, machine learning to make sure that we have proper pathways to unblock a website at scale, leveraging all our IP addresses. So you don't need to care about that. You don't need to care about managing the, the right IP address, the right unlocking solution. You just call the API, get the HTML back, so you can parse it and use the data as you wish. I also mentioned that we have the SERP API. SERP API will do the same for search engines. So is it, it can be Bing, it can be Google, it can be DuckDuckGo, and so on. And you just call the API and with the parameters of which search term you want, which local, which is it a mobile, is it, whatever it is, and get JSON file structured. You don't even need to parse it because we'll give you a parse result, you can, of course, get HTML, but we'll also give you a JSON if you prefer that is already passed and you can use immediately, again, at scale. And we have customers that, you know, have 200,000 keywords that they need to scrape every day to make sure that they are positioned right in the search engine because that's their livelihood. Without that, they will lose the position, they will lose millions of dollars, they will lose their job <laughs> and mm. it's really important for them to, to stay on top of the search result. So would that be more what you just mentioned? Because I would imagine that especially the SERP APIs, they'll be incredibly useful both for the SEO professionals or in-house SEO departments and possibly as well the actual tools that provide the tools kind of, for the companies who provide the tools for SEOs. Yeah. Let's speak a little bit maybe for a moment about scale because the amount of calls that you set per, and per day would definitely raise a flag, I think, on the side from Google, right? But you are able to circumvent that and to provide this data. And the reason that we can do it is because we have just the, the residential network is built out of millions of IP addresses that really human are using those IP addresses. It's you and me that can install a software and get paid for it and share our IP address and access to the internet through our computer or through other devices. And that's how we're able to overcome those limitations because we have access to Google through 
those uh, IP addresses. That's of course just one of the tools. We also need to have the right fingerprint, uh, the right. We need to look human when we come into those websites in order not to get blocked. Definitely, because you mentioned CAPTCHA, you, you mentioned the, the browser fingerprinting. Obviously, the proxy would also help you to go around any kind of rate limiting as well, because it's a, obviously a different IP number, but the rate limiting will de- dependently on how is it implemented. So this sounds like a constant race. Yes. Like yes. a constant race of the R&D department that you have and a constant race between two sides. One doesn't want to give access to the free de- public data and the other one tries to get it. Yeah, the cool thing about the web unlocking solution is that this race is done by us for many, many, many customers, while there are customers that are dealing with it alone. And it might work great for them if they're doing it for a specific vertical. Let's say that I'm in travel and I have three destinations, three domains that I must create, and that's my livelihood, that's my business. Okay, so I need to be an expert in scraping those websites no matter what. I can't rely on a, a different company or another company that will do it for me. But if it's a website that is very common and everybody is accessing it, and we have solved it for the 99% of the use cases for those companies that are trying to scrape for e-commerce, for instance, then it will be much more cost-effective to use our solution because you won't need a department of free researchers and machine learning engineers and data scientists and engineers to develop the unlocking solution that will allow you to do it at scale. That's why the web unlocker solution is such a magical product that allows you to call any URL and get it back, resolved HTML, and then pass it without dealing with anything. I would imagine that even I sometimes probably had some issues with, with CAPTCHA, had to look very close to the screen to try to figure out, you know, <laughs> yeah. which one is the hydrant and which one is the monkey or, you know. Yeah, but you know, that if we got CAPTCHA, we did something wrong. Like, we need to go and scrape a website at scale and make sure that we don't get captured. Like, uh, CAPTCHA is the last result. It means that we overuse the IP address and, and now we're starting to get blocked in, in most cases. So... Our goal is to not get captured. Yeah, that makes sense. Because occasionally, even just through normal use of, let's say, Google search, I would still get captures. But that would be probably because, I don't know, maybe my IP number changed or something else that that yeah. flagged with the algorithm. And also for the most popular sources. So if you have, also imagine a company that, that doesn't have a team of developers that want to do it and they don't want to write any code at all, you also provide data sets, right? That are already ready for popular things. So we provide in the data line of product, we have three products. We have an IDE, web scraping IDE, which is for developers, which allows you basically to run on, on our cloud solution 100% without having anything on your end, any infrastructure, nothing. You just write the code in JavaScript, leveraging our functions, to help scrape the web, parse it. We have, we're introducing now AI solutions that will help you write the code even. And we have templates for you to start off by, okay, we already solved that website, so you can have the code for that scraping and parsing and, and access it. But that's for developers, and that will give you unlimited amount of scale. So you can scrape any website at any scale without any infrastructure, get it as a data set, 
send it, deliver it to any storage that you want on a schedule or with an API call. And you can also program your own parameters to pass to that API. So that's a really, really good solution for developers. For data people or business people even, we have the ready-made managed solution, which is basically we said, okay, we see that the list of websites that many of our customers need, why would we ask everyone to scrape them all over again? And basically, it's not good for the website. It's not good for us or the customers or for the world or for energy. Or it's yeah, not good for anything. Electricity. Yeah, let's make sure that we are doing it once. Really, really good in high quality for everyone. Allow you basically to access a data set. Filter it. Even run an SQL on it to make sure that you, you can narrow it down to only the records that you need and purchase only the records that you need. Subscribe to them so you can do it you know, every day, every hour, every year, whatever you want and pay only for what you need. But not only that, pay, I would say, a third of the cost that it will cost us to scrape it because we are able to share the cost between many customers. So it's the most affordable solution that we can offer by having a pre-collected data set because we are able to share that cost between many customers. So it will be the most effective, cost-effective solution that you can ever find, you know, instead of paying for the developer and for overcoming the capture and the blockage and then the dealing with the quality issues and verification, validation. You don't need to do anything. And what are the most popular data sets that you currently offer? So we offer a variety of data sets, I would say, that it ranges from the popular e-commerce website like Amazon, where we have 300 million products that are scraped. So that's also enormous scale that only if you need to do the discovery, just the discovery process to find 300 million products in order to filter and just find what you need, it's a huge process. So coming into a data set like that, being able to write a filter in a minute and say, I want only you know, Panasonic TVs over 40 inch and get those products is an amazing achievement on its own. And we also have you know, the popular LinkedIn profiles and LinkedIn companies and Crunchbase companies. And uh, so we have all the companies data. We have jobs and hiring data. We have e-commerce product data. Those are the big bulk of categories. We spoke earlier about the big use case that you have that is e-commerce. We also mentioned travel. And I was wondering, what are the most common use cases? And if you think from the point of view of scale, which one is the largest, the kind of, that is most challenging to accommodate, I would say? So I think that, as you said, price comparison in e-commerce is the largest one. And for a second, I would like to take us back to reality and not the digital world, but the, the physical world. In Israel now, we have a holiday, New Year's, Rosh Hashanah, it's called. And on the billboards, we have huge ads for the cheapest basket of supermarket groceries that you can find in the country. And they are the top one and the, the second one advertising all over the country that they have the cheapest basket of groceries that you can buy for the holiday. How do they know that? they have the cheapest one. So it's a common way to do it. The common way is mystery shopper will go into the supermarket, 
will buy uh, 100 items, compare them to other supermarkets, and declare the winner. That mystery shopper is exactly what we do online, right? Instead of doing it with sending people and marking those prices, we do it with our technical solution, and we go and scrape it and parse it and have the data, compare it one to another, and now we have a price comparison. So when I'm touching a bit of ethics here, we are doing exactly what you could do in every supermarket, in every store that you can go in and watch the prices and watch how they you know, have it on their shelf and everything. And that's public common knowledge now because it's out in the open and it's not locked in any way. That's what we do online as well. And as you mentioned, price comparison is the leading one, but there are also ad verification use case, which is a big one, SEO, which is a huge one. We have a financial due diligence, so reviewing a company online assets from their hiring, uh, product reviews, investors, whatnot, to make sure that this company is healthy for the financial sector, for investing. It's another huge use case for us. And from, because you also mentioned about the ethics and about the mystery shopper, you know, going into the shop and just with his own organic human eyes, scanning through all the prices and then you just doing it automatically. So I was thinking that bright data, what you're describing is an incredibly powerful tool because you have both the proxies, you have the web unlocker, you have the cert and so on. So it's an entire sweep of very powerful tools and to collect the web data in a, in a very efficient way. So I was wondering, how do you ensure that it's used ethically and how do you deal with it with developers who try to use bright data, for example, in non-ethical or harmful ways? So we are fully aware of the damage that can be made by leveraging millions of IP addresses for harmful attacks, which is why we have compliance department, a big one, and a KYC process, a know your customer process, and a lot of technical features that will allow us to circumvent those harmful issues to ever happen. I'll give an example. We only want you to access public web data, not under login. And we do that by limiting the URLs and limiting the data points that you can scrape and limiting what you can write on the web because we don't want you to write any bad reviews mm. or any reviews at all using our IP addresses. That's correct, because you can not only get the data, you can also create, for example, post requests or start adding comments or st exactly. and so on. Exactly. So we need to make sure that you are not using our IP addresses to write any reviews on any website and leveraging it to do harm. So when you ask us to get access, to gain access to the residential network, for instance, which is basically using a real human IP address, his computer. And if you do some harm, the FBI will come to his house, not to your house, because that's his IP address. We must protect our end user. We must protect this IP address. So the first thing we do when you ask us access to this residential network, for instance, is meet us, come to a meeting, a video meeting, provide the necessary documentation that will show us that you are a company, which company, blah, 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 stuff like that. So that's the paperwork. But also, let's discuss your use case. Let's make sure that we are aligned, in sync, about what can be done and what shouldn't be done. 
And the moment you'll do something that is harmful, you're off the network forever. That's really important for us. By the way, I'm sorry to say that it's not so important for our competitors. We have many competitors that don't have KYC, that don't have compliance department, even when they say they do, and they don't have the technical features to prevent you from doing that. And we want to be leading the industry in general, but also in the ethics department. And we went so far into having a department, a lead for data for good. We want to, with the Bright Initiative, is basically an initiative that uses our superpowers for good. And we collaborate with the top universities in the world. All the top universities are working with us, with governments, with organizations. And we want to provide them with access to data that will support fighting human trafficking, helping education, fighting anti-Semitism. We have so many examples in our website in the Bright Initiative. And if you are one of those and you're listening and you're one of those organizations and you want access to information in order to do good with data because data is the new gold, it's so powerful today, please reach out to us because we are happy to collaborate and offer those services for free. Perfect. Yeah, I think this is good. And also I like the fact that you protect it towards that one, you know, small residential IP address, even though you have such a number of them. Yeah. And those people by allowing other people that they don't know, the companies into the router and to make a request, they also take a risk. Yeah, they take a risk and we have to protect them. We have to protect them because that's our livelihood. You know, we care about them more than they know because we want to make sure that nobody will knock at the door and then it's on us. And also, as you mentioned, the kind of anti-Semitism on the internet, the amount of, I think, Facebook and Twitter comments, if you just go and look, there's a lot of things that literally just deserve to be reported to police and they're not, and this data just hangs over there, right? Exactly. And, and you need to remember that most of those social networks don't have an API that will allow you to access their uh, data and to report issues at scale. It's up to the individuals to go and to report it. And we allow them to scrape at scale and search for keywords and make sure that they are alerted on time when such hate speech are being made online and to report them and deal with them. And we have few organizations here in Israel and other in, in the US and other places that we work with provide free access to those resources. Mm. No, I agree because I have personally have reported a lot of stuff and I was just wondering how it, this is even possible that something like this is still, you know, hanging around in the internet and nobody does anything. It's a reputable, you know, big social network. So let's maybe get into starting with Bright Data as a developer. So imagine I am a company, I have a developer with my company who would like to scrape some data. What is the developer experience like and how do you start as a software developer with your product? Because we have already mentioned the proxies, we have mentioned, you know, the SERPs, we have mentioned the IDE for scraping, the web unlocking. It's a mouthful word. And yeah, so it's also a word that we invented. Yes. <laughs> Unlocking is not an English word. It's not? Actually. No. Ah, okay. And so as a developer, how do I get started? And how do you, as, as you said, that sometimes developers have problems in choosing the right tools for the job that they're given. So how do I get started? How do I figure out which part of your solution and which elements of your toolkit do I need? That's a great question. Let's start from the basic. So onboarding, while you onboard, we offer uh, free credits. For you. So if you are 
an individual you'll get, I think it's $5 to $10 free to use on the platform so you can test anything that you want. And for companies, we give much more credit and time to test it and use it freely. And we encourage that and we provide the best support in the industry and maybe in other industries. We have an amazing support team. So I highly recommend using that. We're also now, my department is working on improving the documentation to make sure that developers have amazing documentation to start with. But now the big question is, which products should I start with? And if you're a professional, that's less of an issue, but let's talk about you as a, if you are working for a company and you need now to scrape at scale, what should you do? And I think that let's start from the most efficient one. That is hard for developer to think like that because it's not a developer tool. It's a pre-made data set. So as I mentioned, it's, it's already there. You only, you can filter it with our GUI. You go and, and just filter it by the product name, by hashtag, whatever you want, and get the data you need immediately. Or subscribe to it, or ask us to get fresh data on the spot, which costs a little bit different. And that will be the most cost-effective, cost-efficient. Everything is there. You don't need to develop anything, and that's amazing for the business. And you're done. You're magically done. But that's limited for a set list of, let's say, up to 100 top data sets. And it's growing. It will be 300 by the end of the year or maybe a little bit later. And then if you want us to do it for you, again, we can even do it for a custom data set. Let's say we don't have a pre-made, pre-collected data set. You can request a custom one and we'll manage it for you. We'll develop the scraping code. We'll manage it, will maintain the code if something breaks because websites keep on changing. And that's a managed solution. And it's also very cost effective. You don't need a developer on it. You just need your own time to just tell us what you want to scrape, what is the schema of the data that you want. And that's it, basically. But that's great when you have a need for data that is not core and crucial to your business. Because when it's core and crucial to your business, you want to make sure that you have more control. So I would say that we have two parameters to look at when choosing a product. One is the level of control needed and how crucial it is to your business to make sure that you have full control on every little aspect. And of course, there is price as a parameter. And what type of team do you have? So do you have engineering power? Do you have data science? What does your team look like? So if your team is, is just a business person, you are just a business person, then pre-made or, or managed custom data sets are perfect for you. If you have developer power, then you can deal with any of the product. And if you have just data engineering or data science, you can also deal with the pre-collected custom data set but you might not be able to develop using the IDE because you need to write in JavaScript or the proxies where you need to do it manually. We haven't touched on a very interesting product that we released this year, which is the scraping browser, which you write uh, scraping interactions using, let's say, Puppeteer, and then we scale it for you using our scraping browser API. You just call the API with your ready-made code on your end in Puppeteer, let's say, or Selenium. And then 
we scale it to whatever scale you want using real browsers on machines that are connected to our proxy networks and you don't need to maintain any of that and we keep it up to date. And does it also include all the benefits that come for, from the web unlocking and the proxies yes. and everything? Yes, it's connected to the unlocking and then you don't need to deal with the scaling of interactions, which is another huge use case in scraping. So I was wondering as a developer, right? And so I come in and I want to use your product because obviously there's so many different aspects of the product. So you have the ready data sets, which are kind of like cash, you save electricity, you save money, share the cost between different people and boom, you get it, right? And then, however, occasionally you still need to write something. Mm -hmm. So I think you started speaking about the scraping browser and how the scraping browser helps you to work with that. Yeah, so let's stay with the control that you need and your capabilities. So if you need a lot of control, then you need to go low level, as low level as you can. So you'll only use the proxy networks. If you have the capability of doing the unlocking and the fingerprinting and capture solving and everything you can do yourself and you need to manage it yourself, then all you need is the IP addresses to make it a scale and you can deal with the data center, ISPs, mobile or residential. If you need us to help you with the unlocking, because we have a huge department that is dealing with the ML and research and everything that is doing that, then you can use the web unlocking tool and that's an API that you'll call, get the HTML back, and then all you need to do is basically just run the API and do the parsing yourself. And if you're targeting search engines, then you don't even need to do that. You don't need to do the parsing because we did the parsing for you and you get the JSON file. That's in the proxy world. Then you can go to the IDE because you say, I don't even want to manage my own infrastructure. I don't want to call your API. I want to write everything on the cloud in the Bright Data IDE platform, write it in JavaScript, leverage all the pre-made interactions or not interactions, functions that you have, and run it at any scale, at any schedule, with an API, even activate it and initiate the data collection, send it automatically to deliver it to any data set that I want as a zip file to F3 with the naming conventions that I want, and that's it. So I don't need to manage the infrastructure. I can focus only on the JavaScript code that will do the interactions or will do the parsing. So the range is really wide, but it depends on the level of control that you need and your capabilities. So I think like I'm very dependent because as you said, your clients or the people who use your product can range just from a business person that wants to query the data all the way down to a developer who is advanced and is a web scraping expert and just wants to use your scale. And Yeah, we, we have the customers that uh, range from a team of 70 people that are doing scraping for a huge business that is, you know, an e-commerce a mogul that needs to keep track on all the prices in the market and have a huge scraping department with machine learning to also deal with the pricing issues and all of that, all the pricing logic. And we have all the way to a single developer that doesn't have the capability to deal with all the unlocking himself and do the research and do the scaling and have the infrastructure. And we have all the solutions for help. And this 360 is really, you know, it makes sense if you think about it, it's a 360 for all the types of the customers and as well with all the types of the products. And I was wondering, let's speak a little bit about your team and how you work together. 
How large is your team? Do you work within the office? Do you work remote? Are you just in Israel or you spread around a couple countries? Great question. So my team specifically is the product manager's team. So we are eight PMs. We have two product designers. We have a content strategist. But we work with engineering. So we have about 100 engineers in the company that are writing all this magic behind the scenes. And they are spread around the world. We have a big team in Israel, but we also have a team in Europe, in Canada, in the U.S., in, in many, many places, and they work remotely. And our company DNA is very specific, and it's optimized to be able to work remotely entirely. But I'm happy to say that my team is working hybrid, so we're working like two, three days at home or in the office. And I prefer it, actually. I prefer that the hybrid approach. You can have the both form. And yeah, we, we are constantly collaborating with all the teams. My team especially, you know, is in the center of working with marketing and sales and uh, account managers and support. And R&D is our closest allies and partners and, and we need to work with them closely on the roadmap and execution, make sure that everything goes according to plan. And if not, change it as fast as possible. I would imagine that you as within the product area, you're kind of in the middle and you bridging and connecting the engineering with the actual user requirements, possibly with the requirements that come from sales and so on. Yeah, yeah. So we have a lot of requirements coming from everywhere, basically. We have uh, them coming from sales and account managers and from the data itself, you know, we have all the analytics to make sure that we have. But that will account only to 80% of what we do. The 20% is innovation. And innovation comes from what the client, what the customers don't even know how to say that they want it. You need to find it between the lines in the stuff that they are doing and that you know that if you can build it, it will sell, solve a lot of issues for them. So we need to keep our ears open for those 20% that will allow us to keep innovating and building the next product. And I'm happy to say that we are leading the industry and we have products that are, you know, our competitors take a few years to build and come up with uh, after we launch them. Because you said that you have around 100 people globally within the engineering team. And yeah. I'm wondering, are you currently hiring? And if you are, what does the recruitment process look like? So, yes, we are always hiring, especially for good engineers. And we have a very straightforward kind of hiring process which is doing an exercise. I think what's not common about it is that you need to write in JavaScript, which is not common, I think, in the industry. So that's a bit of a challenge because you need to be well diverse in, in, in that language. But other than that, we look for uh, you know, amazing engineers that can fit the DNA. So I would recommend everyone to read our publicly access the, to, to you scrape, scrape, your, yeah. scrape your public data. Exactly. You can scrape uh, our DNA and read it before you apply because it's very specific. We like to work very independently and everyone is an owner of their own domain and they need you know to work and lead that and come up with the solutions and not only rely on discussions. We are a no meeting company. There are no meetings, you know, three or four people are not allowed <laughs> to, to meet. I, I'm exaggerating. You are allowed to meet, but we don't have recurring meetings. We don't have loud meetings. We have uh, one-to-ones that are quick and 
you know, I need uh, to ask that question, let's move forward. And because everyone are the owners of their task, of their project, of their future, and that's how we operate. So we try not to lose time and speed over large meetings. So the process is very pragmatic and optimized to necessary and optimized to be efficient with people's time as well. Yeah, I think that developers love love not wasting time in large meetings. Now I come from uh, Facebook where we had my time as a product manager was 90% of the time in meetings of seven to nine people discussing things with everyone. And, and I think that we wasted so much time for developers and designers and that didn't have to be in that meeting. I think that this touches on the concept of and Paul Graham wrote this famous essay about the, the maker's schedule and the manager's schedule and how the makers and the people who actually create things and work, so let's say like software engineers, artists, and so on, how they work on a completely different schedule and how, how hard it is to mix those two worlds together occasionally, which you have to do to build a product. Yeah, yeah. So the developer's time is sacred to us. I truly believe that and I want to make sure that we are not abusing their time in any way on anything that is not useful because at the end of the day, to execute the roadmap, I can't do it alone. <laughs> I can't do it at all. I can talk about it, but I can't do it. So I, I need the help of the engineers. And I, if I'll take their time on stuff that is unneeded, then I, I help myself, basically. And I was wondering as well, what is next on your plate for Bright Data in terms of what you're building and where you want to take the company? And how do you see Bright Data in the future? I think that the current challenge and the thing that I'm most excited about is integrating uh, AI LLMs into our product. And we found so many useful use cases that I believe that the next year will be, or the next couple of years will be, just figuring out how to leverage it and optimize it to the benefit and value of our customers. For instance, I'll give you a really fun example. In the pre-collected data sets, you can press a button, add a new column. You can call it, let's say, material. You didn't have this column before. Now you're looking at the e-commerce data set that you just collected or was pre-collected. And you have a description of the product and you want to extract only the materials and another column for colors. And the website didn't give you a, not material and not colors. And now you can do it. You can press a button Say, I want to, it's like AI enhanced column. And you say exactly the prompt that will be run on the original description, for example. And say, you know, extract only the color of the product and with the prompt and the rules that you want to have and the, only the materials and limit it to those five materials and if not, put other. And on the spot, in front of your eyes, it will happen. It will write line by line very, very fast. And it will give you a way to experiment and to do AI at scale and without training any model instantly. It's really amazing how we moved from ML trained models for, you know, that took forever to make into prompting and generating a new column instantly on any data set that you just now collected. It's also going to think work much better with any kind of fuzzy data. So if some term is a bit more potentially ambiguous or if there are any typos or some other word is used within, let's say, for example, the description column. Yeah. So this enhanced column is something that I'm excited about and we are now launching. And just imagine a code helper that will allow you to write better code 
for interactions or, or for parsing within our IDE product, or there are so many examples along the way. The last one will be insights. You know, at the end of the day, it's not the data that you're looking for, it's the insights. And AI can help you extract the insights from that data. And we have a line of product for that. We have Bright Insights, mm. which is now tailored just for e-commerce, but it will expand over time. And yeah, I think it's the next frontier. And at the end of the day, you are looking for insights and we want to provide you as close as we can to those insights. No, that makes sense because you have the data, the data has the information, right? That, exactly. that the end you need. And also you mentioned in the beginning that you are planning a conference. Could you speak uh, yeah, more? so the ScrapeCon event is our first big online event, November 7th, that you are all invited to take part in. With industry leaders, it's not only us talking, we invited our customers, we invited industry leaders, we invited influencers from that community to participate in the discussions and keynote speakers. And I think it would be extremely valuable to anyone that is in that domain and looking to understand how others are looking at it, how they are solving big issues and scaling their solutions. Amazing. And how can I sign up for that event? Is it on your website? or Yeah, just go to our website, brightdata.com, and look for the ScrapeCon event and register. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Arez. And this was very interesting. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you.